Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome back to Your Tables Ready. I'm your host, Carol Hadar. You might be asking yourself, what does Ben Lovett from Mumford & Sons have to do with food? Well, actually, he's the guy behind Flatiron Square in Southwark. He's also the guy behind Goodsway and King's Cross, which you might not have heard of because he had just launched one week before lockdown. He's on a mission to create more grassroots music venues in London and help build the live music and night scene here. His thinking is that we need to bridge the gap between being massive and then people having no idea who you are, and that's why grassroots venues are so important. Omira was his first music venue to launch, which occupied three of the arches in Flatiron Square. It holds about 350 people. The rest of Flatiron Square is food and drinks vendors. He ended up taking management of the whole thing as it seemed a natural next step, and music, food, and nightlife all go hand in hand. All of this, by the way, is run by Lovett's company called Venue Group. He's CEO, his brother's CFO, his brother came from finance at Soho House, and his dad's the chairman. Nice little family business there. So Flatiron Square is, if you haven't been, a massive laid-back outdoor food hall that's gorgeous in summertime but also really works in winter. They have vendors like Mother Clucker, who we spoke to last week, Bretto's, Where the Pancakes Are, Lupin's, and a few more. They also do a fun frosé that you can throw down continuously sitting at a picnic table all afternoon. Um, But like I said before, just before lockdown, Goodsway and King's Cross launched with a live music venue called Lafayette, which holds about 600 people, and an indoor food market and drinks hall. The vibe at Goodsway is a lot more clean. It's all indoors. It's got like a very strong New Orleans theme to it with cobbled streets and iron balconies running throughout. They have a very cool looking bar as well. It's a modern twist on like an old timey southern saloon style place. Some of the vendors moved over from Flatiron, like Bredos, but then they brought in actually a lot of new vendors like Duck Truck, Sushi on Jones, which is a much-loved sushi place in New York, and Temple of Satan. Sadly, Goodsway was only open for a week, as I mentioned, uh, but it promises to please once it's safe to get back in there. Something I really loved about what Ben was saying was that he wasn't creating a venue that was just for brands to come and basically live and die there. He wanted it to be more of a stepping stone for them. He wanted all the vendors to benefit from the collective footfall and then carry on growing into something of their own eventually. Much like the path Mother Clucker are on. Something else I really loved about Ben was that he's sort of taking on this role of like helping build the economy both here and in the U.S. He explains some of the work he does with governments to understand how venues like his provide jobs and strengthen the economy and societies in the towns and cities that they're in. He does all this, by the way, while still performing with Mumford & Sons. He has such an incredible work ethic, and you'll hear how incredibly passionate he is about creating this niche between hospitality and entertainment venues. So we will weave in and out of music and food throughout the episode, as it's all part of his story. Okay, final words. Uh, I found it incredibly hard not to call Ben Lovett Ben Lovett the whole time. It's like this unspoken celebrity rule, right? Like first and last name them. For my Curb fans, you'll remember the episode where everyone called John Ham John Ham, and that's what I had in my mind throughout the whole interview. Anyway, who even knows who'll get that reference? But if you do and you want to talk about it, please do email me. My email's in the about section of my show. If you don't know what I'm talking about or you don't like Curb, we cannot be friends. Okay, right here we go. Ben, love it, everyone. Can you tell us in your own words who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Ben Lovett. I am a creative and I'm an entrepreneur. It's quite a funny thing to call yourself, but I have been interested in starting things since I was very young. I like to make things. So I'm, I'm a musician with the band Mumford & Sons. 
I co-founded a business called Communion when I was uh, 18, which is a record label publisher and concert promoter based out of London. And I'm, uh, as of five years ago, I'm the CEO of a company called Venue Group, who own and operate various music venues, bars and restaurants uh, across London and now uh, in the US as well. You started your first business at the same time as starting Mumford & Sons? Actually, just before. And and actually, before that, there was another business. I started my first business when I was um, 17, and it was called Java Connect, which is ironic given how... I struggled technologically to get on the interview, but I, it was an IT recruitment company. It lasted for about four months. I was in my parents' attic. I thought that there was an, an opportunity in recruitment, and I, um, I, I was wrong. I decided to finish school. And then, uh, and then soon after that, it was really just from a, from a needs-must point of view, but, but Communion was born out of a place to want to make a little bit of money and, and also provide another place for a band that I was in prior to Mumford & Sons to perform regularly. There just weren't enough places to perform in London if you were starting out as a band. So it sounds like you've always had kind of an entrepreneurial drive in you. Yeah, I have. Uh, I think so. And my um, inspired a lot by my dad, who, who'd spent his career helping out businesses in distress. So his job was to come in at the point where companies were kind of experiencing um, either they were they were going under or were, were fast approaching that way and was would come and help them. And, and he spent 40 odd years, wrote the book on the subject. And I guess I was just around that. And as most things in life do kind of somehow come back to your childhood and your family, I basically found that that was one of by being entrepreneurial, it was a way for uh, him to engage in what I was doing. And he's now the chairman of Venue Group, which is quite fun. I love that your whole family's involved. I mean, your brother's on the board as well, right? My brother's actually very much involved. My brother's the CFO. He was the finance director for Soho House Group for North America. And before that was running Maxwell's in London. He was the FD. I look at the sort of financial and commercial part of the business as kind of running the show and, and the sort of things that I do is being the fun bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's 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 very much a big driver of of how we've got to where we are today. So how did it come about? I mean, you're kind of like touring, you're this big rock star, and then you're like I'm actually going to start my own thing in the middle of all this. How how did that happen? Like where did you get the idea from? It was all quite concurrent. I've always been really passionate about experience and hospitality. Those have been pillars of my life. Uh, when I remember when we started Mumford & Sons, one of the first sessions that we had once we um, signed up with Island Records, they were kind of like, you know, we want to we want to get to know your personality. It was kind of just as, as cheesy as you'd imagine, you know, like, right, there's four guys here. Let's let's like, we, we want to learn you guys. And I became the food guy. I sort of talked about how I'd grown up cooking a lot and that I, I really had a respect and, and love of food. And on the first iteration of the band's website, I started a food blog talking about the various different things that I would discover along the, along the way as we traveled around the world. So that was like my thing already within the band. And obviously alongside that, enjoy kind of curating an experience. I, I like to host a party and show people a good time. Some of that feeds into being a performer and being on stage. But yeah, it, it kind of just was bubbling along and, and a lot of the work that we were doing with Communion, especially Communion Presents as a concert promoter, made me very aware of specifically the lack of music venues or the increasing lack of music venues in kind of 2014, 2015. 
And so I began a process to finding a site. Yeah, the rest kind of it's built quite organically from there. I love that you're leading the charge to build more venues that are supporting grassroots music. You're so right. London needs more venues like these. And it seems like you've always been into food, so it makes sense to bring the two together. So tell me, how did you decide on the site Flatiron Square in Southwark? I saw the property developer was Benjamin Scrimger. He's the one who named it Flatiron Square um, because of how it looked architecturally, which I thought was cool. Um, How did you choose that place? Did you find him first? Yeah, Benj, as we uh, know him affectionately, was the developer. And we were brought in, I guess, as 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 an interested party, initially in providing kind of the music and entertainment space within a wider development. And we locked in Omira at Flatiron Square first. Uh, that took on three of the seven arches that he was developing. And, and then he was working with various people, John Spiteri being one of them, um, to figure out the food and beverage offerings. Um, after about a year of operating Omira, we found that we were really enjoying and we had quite a, an amazing team of people. And, and we suggested to Benj that we would take on the sort of general management and the operations for the whole of Flatiron Square. So that conversation began, came into play in 2017. And then we found that actually the harmony that not only was being experienced by customers was kind of a new way of looking at things behind the scenes as well. And the kind of relationship between the the music component of the site and the food and beverage, um, especially kind of discovery food in the sense of the food arch were very complementary. And, and our team could, you know, we, we had interchangeable management structures that were moving in and around all these different sites and, and you know, frankly, making a drink in, in a venue and making a drink in a, a garden bar are pretty similar, uh, even though we slightly tweaked the menu. So then we, then we had like a, right, we've like kind of stumbled upon an ecosystem here. It's, it's, uh, it's a hospitality company and an, it's an entertainment company and they together make this new way of thinking and, and that's what we're excited about that's what we feel is our niche i can't see us now doing anything that is just a venue and i can't see us doing anything that is just food and beverage everything that we do moving forward will be a balance of the two i love it you said that there was someone else involved who was helping choose all the food vendors are you involved at all is it that you approach them or do they approach you or maybe a bit of both yeah, we're, well, the, the current, um, as you see it today, it's gone through a few different iterations and we're, we're deeply involved in the curation. It's a it's a mixture. It's mostly outreach, I'd say. We, we do get a lot of inbound inquiries, but I think we're not quite at the level where um, we're like the destination for, for the hottest next thing. I, I think we're doing, we're doing a good job and I'm very proud of what we've built in King's Cross as well. Uh, yeah we'll come on to that in a minute <laughs> but it's yeah i mean it's it's like we're not we get approached from all different types of vendors and, and we keep conversations going and one of them we're hoping to, to figure out a partnership with on a new project that's coming in 21 but um the current picture of the food arch at flat iron square includes three of the original tenants and the rest have have come naturally changed over time and it's a, it's a good variety we try to have something for everyone do you have it more evolving in in Flatiron or do you want them all to just stay the same kind of like in King's Cross? 
No, we, we want them all to be evolving. I mean, I think of it very much like, like a stage. Some people build venues where they're very happy to have the same artists come back on a circuit time and time again. And those venues which I played, they serve a purpose. Our view of our stages is that we hope that we don't see the artists again in the nicest possible way. Like they can come back and do like a special performance, but we hope that the artists who perform on our stages go on to headline Glastonbury. Now, I think the same way in terms of the food partners that we work with. You know, I hope that we are a, a platform and a stepping stone for these entrepreneurs to have an environment in which they can benefit from kind of collective footfall and sort of cultural programming that will drive people who are interested in discovery through the doors. But then like nothing would make me happier than to get an email saying, hey, like this has been fun, but we, um, we've secured a lease on this 2,000 square foot restaurant and we're going to go and do that. Or whatever, whatever it is, we would love to be moved on from in that sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We had um, Brittany Bean from Mother Clucker on the show yesterday. Mm, nice. um, and, and yes, sounds like they're well on their way to being a much better much bigger than market stalls. And it's really great to see. I, yeah. I completely agree. Um, what about the vibe? It's very different. I mean, I've only seen pictures of Goods Way. Um, I haven't actually been there yet because okay. also it closed pretty quickly. Mm. But it's very different to the Flatiron one. So what was the inspiration for both? Well, I think the, the goal here isn't to create one thing and, and repeat it. It's about trying to create something that's unique in its own right within London. And I think where there's a, a sense of DIY the, the casualness of Flatiron Square comes from the aesthetic and the, the obvious, like the way that it's built up over time, that the layers of it, and that has a charm to it that we that we lean into and we embrace. Uh, when it came to King's Cross, obviously we went into a development that had been going on for 20 plus years, uh, a lot of shiny new buildings, but also I think they've done a pretty good job of respecting the heritage points as well. Um, you know, look at the Central St. Martin's building um, on Granary Square and how, how it interplays between the modern and the, and the classic. And whilst we were facing a, a concrete box um, inside a basement of a new building, I was very keen that we found a way to create some sense of place and, and history. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite parts of the world to travel is um, the southern states, specifically uh, Louisiana in the U.S., and that's because it's it's such a great melting pot of all the things that I love, which is culture and food and, and drinks that lots of different people have found their way there. And, and it's all kind of about an exchanging of ideas. So the spirit of that we wanted to capture into Good's Way. And I think we've done so. The courtyard is as you walk in through the front door. You're greeted with kind of a double story. It almost feels like a street corner with cobbled paving slabs underneath your feet and kind of wrought iron balustrade. And then we've worked with each of our food partners to personalize and kind of define each of their spaces. But it feels like you're stepping in off the street to their world. And then when you're on the street, we have a bar and you can kind of experience it, it as very much like an indoor outdoor feel yeah, it's, it's very beautiful who did you get to help with the design there's a company called three stories who um did an amazing job essentially i did like a, a four hour version of what i was just saying and uh, <laughs> and then we and then we worked closely together to build up reference imaging and then build we built up kind of renders and then increasingly the renders and the reference images look like the the finished product that we were going to build and yeah i'm 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 very proud of it. Um, 
one of the challenges with doing something that's inspired from somewhere else is to not make it feel gimmicky or just sort of like it's a pastiche. And uh, I think we did we did a good job to, to capture the spirit of what I'm talking about rather than it to, to just look like you've just sort of flown to, the, to America. And the collaborations have been brilliant. You know, some of them carry over from Flatiron. We've got tenants like uh, Bredos and uh, Lupins who have a restaurant on Union Street, which is a part of the Flatiron Square estate. They've built a new concept for Goods Way called Pomelo, and they're brilliant. Um, but it was interesting as well looking at something like Sushi on Jones, who um, we're working with on, on Goods Way, because as you can imagine, the aesthetic doesn't necessarily scream sushi. It's like, you know, it has this, there's, there's like plants falling from the ceiling and there's these cobbled streets and it's supposed to feel like somewhere you would be, you know, having sort of grabbing food and, and not worried about spilling drinks. And it hasn't got that cleanliness that, that you might initially think of uh, when you imagine a sushi restaurant. But what we did is we worked with them and located their unit slightly away within the same courtyard, but slightly to one side, has beautiful views over towards the canal. And their original location in New York was in a similar dynamic where it was actually talking more to the kind of, it felt a little bit more street foody rather than super high end. And, and what they buyed in me or what when we first spoke was this idea of delivering very high quality sushi, but in a kind of a welcoming and casual way. And that's something that I felt London needed. I, I kind of look at the the, the sushi spectrum in London and it felt like you were either you could go and get something pretty cheap either high street or, or kind of there's definitely street food people that do sushi pretty well or you go to kind of one of those you know the top restaurants where you're gonna sort of spend your annual going out right um, right special occasions yeah exactly and <laughs> it wasn't something that was in between that was maybe like once a month or you know if you're if you're lucky enough once a week but there was something that's like I feel like there's the middle class for sushi that's yet to really break through in London and, and I hope this for Sushi on Jones is as I say kind of a launch into the market for them coming from the US and be um, great if it achieves that. Yeah because you you lived in New York for a while didn't you and I think I read that a lot of your inspiration was like there's just a lot more options in the US in New York. Yeah, I'm fascinated by New York. I'm um, I'm actually in New York currently. I have been throughout the lockdown. And What's it been like there? It was it was it got hit pretty hard, didn't it? Yeah, I I, uh, I was quite surprised really about just just you know sim- similar scenes of kind of panic buying and stuff. And what I'm about to say about New York and New Yorkers doesn't really relate to the reaction to the pandemic, but it's it's starting to come back in uh, in full force now. But it's it's a it's a tough city, you know. In in general, I find it it really sharpens my focus. I find it challenging. So it, for the same reasons that some people don't enjoy New York, it's the it's the exact reason why I love it. The intensity and the pace of it. Um, I think if you love what you do, it's it's a place of action. So yeah, I've spent quite a few years either fully in New York or, or split between New York and London. Currently, I'm I'm kind of split 50-50 because we've got various US projects coming online as a venue group as well. And it's easier to obviously handle that with time difference and stuff out of New York. How do you actually find that, like splitting your time between touring with a band and then being chief exec of a, of a group so big as such as this one? Um, I, um, 
you can ask my therapist there. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, no, I I I do I do all right. I I kind of I really do. I love it and I cherish it. I I, I work incredibly hard, um, but it doesn't. I don't need to be geared up. I don't question why I'm doing it. It's all good. It, they feel like slightly different muscle groups, to be honest. So when you're on tour, the shape of your day is very different to a normal working day. You really need to be kind of available for a brief period in the afternoon to either do um, some promo or sound checks, which can, you know, that could last like an hour or two. And then your main on time goes from sort of 8pm to midnight. And I found that if I curb a little bit of after gig activities and take myself to bed in a reasonable <laughs> way, um, I could get up at a pretty normal time and do a pretty full day before the afternoon commitments come in. I you know, found that actually for the last few years on tour, I could fit in kind of a seven or eight hour a day and be available for emails and calls. And I'm very lucky to think, I think it's actually the, the size of this company venue group that makes it work. Obviously, if I was kind of, if I, if I had one restaurant, and I was in the hot seat, either in the kitchen or, or at front of house as kind of the key leader on the grounds. It just wouldn't work. It, you know, the, I would I'd be so absent that it would just cause friction. But um, given given where we've got to and, and the scale we're at now, um, and we're we're increasingly heading this way, there really are some excellent people who 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 know how to do things better than I would if I was there anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. You trust your team to do the job and, and you can kind of... Do you go into an office, by the way? I just yeah. imagined you like getting up and yeah. doing a gig and then what? <laughs> well, on the road, I, I, I use the tour manager's office uh, in a much to his frustration. Um, we share we share whatever the, the, the venue office is. But when I'm home, absolutely, I'm, I'm in the office. I think the thing that people maybe misunderstand a little bit sometimes is, is this is highly critical to me, This this business. This isn't I think there's been so many stories about whether it's musicians or actors or sportsmen and women like making some money and being like, oh, I'd love to start a restaurant or I'd love to have a bar and, and kind of having a crack at it. I don't that 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 isn't really how I see things. It's more um, it's as important to me that the legacy of these projects that we're building as venue group defines who I am as as the music that we make as Mumford & Sons. So, you know, I, to do that, I have to commit fully and go to go to work go to the office and be, be available i mean on that note it looks like you have goods wave on a 20-year lease hmm. is that normal that seems like a really long time is that scary uh no we, we pushed for it <laughs> oh you um, wanted that yeah yeah um oh, right. we, we would take we would take as long a lease as we could possibly get we're not messing around um you know we're definitely um committing fully to these projects and uh and it's okay to be driven by you know kind of those sorts of obligations as far as the pie chart sits in terms of where the risk is we find that the leases and the kind of the building costs in general are not the biggest burden on the business oh that's interesting what what would you say is um i think getting the staffing right to a point where we're over delivering whilst doing things a bit differently to how they've necessarily been done before but also keeping it within some responsible level of uh margin and making it affordable that bit is all hard and in general we kind of look to do percentage rents so of the variability of our you know the cost of the customer directly speaks to the rent it's all kind of that they complement each other as it were 
but the cost for the staff to be on hand and doing an exceptional job um, sometimes that means having uh, one and a half times more staff available so that you can get served quicker and um, you know we have we have hosts and greeters and 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 these sorts of roles that are not particularly kind of part of the course so I think we've we overinvest in the experience via the people that we hire. And I'm very proud of that. Like that's, that's, it's a challenge and it's our greatest challenge, but it's also the bit that I think has brought the most amount of joy. We've got 200 people in London under employment currently. And that for me is, that's the greatest achievement, mm. even more than the, the kind of the moments that have been created at Flatiron Square, for example, over the last couple of years, of which there's been some really like great memories, but if, if it was like, what's the what's the achievement today? It's creating something that didn't previously exist, and by doing so, creating a livelihood and a kind of sense of of worth and community to our staff, uh, who then can go on to bring money home and put food on the table at home, and and that's yeah yeah it is it's it's so lovely and it's it all sounds really natural coming from you it doesn't feel like you're just someone trying to try something you know it sounds like you really believe in all of it and it's really great to hear mm. you said that you have um something coming up in 2021 can you talk at all about that yeah we've got various projects um in the works we've got something coming in in london that's going to be a an extension of flat iron square footprint which we're very excited about um we are uh, literally this week, finalising the lease. And we're not quite there on in terms of announcements, but I think the announcements will be coming in the, in the next few weeks. And we are also in conversations about working alongside an existing venue that has a bar and restaurant component to it in London. Um, again, I can't quite talk about that. What I can talk about, um, due to what, what sort of off the back of what we did in London, someone at the mayor's office in London who is a consultant on kind of the uh, third space economy, looking at what places like Flatiron can do for the surrounding area in terms of quality of life for the residents and and sort of quality of workplace as well for the the local workforce. He's called uh, Dr. Shane Shapiro, and he was brought in as a consultant for an emerging city in Alabama called Huntsville. And this goes back a few years now, but he they reached out to him um, as kind of an expert. They were like, we're fastest growing city in Alabama what do we need to consider and anyway to cut a long story short we basically found ourselves um, being recommended and pitching in to the mayor and the city council to design build and and ultimately operate a new amphitheater uh, eight and a half thousand seat amphitheater for their city which will come with a, a whole village of food and beverage and um, little restaurants and it's it's a very exciting project something that we are kind of on the precipice of now building it's all designed that's all kind of publicly available as information and yeah I think it's it's going to be great and and uh, frankly you know just sort of and, and I'm sure some of your listeners will understand this but you do if you do something well more follows in fact it led to how we've approached that work in in Alabama led to one of the other consultants on that project who were the theatre designers for it, who were appointed by the master architects. They were working on another project in Texas just outside of Austin and we've become the, the general partner on a, on a project in Bee Cave, Texas where we're building 11 bars and restaurants and, uh, and an wow. out there. So 
you know, this isn't, as I say, it's grown somewhat organically. We have a, we have a bit of a, a vision for the future, straddling the hospitality and the entertainment worlds. We don't really consider any bar group or restaurant group a competitor because of our affiliation with the entertainment side. But we also don't consider the big players in the music space like Live Nation or AEG really part of our lane either because of how much of our footprint are um, food and beverage. So yeah, it's, it's um it's exciting the, the the future for the business. Obviously, this year has been hard. We haven't solved our near term cash flow issues. You know, as you can probably tell, we're not going to hold back. We just need to we need to continue to try and find solutions to those. But the assumption is that we will figure it out, and then twenty one and beyond will be great. Um, because there's no point just trying to get through the other side of this pandemic without a plan. You know, you have to you have to plan for the future, and it gives a lot of hope and focus. And meanwhile, we'll you know through various different efforts that we're looking at financing financing solutions. And um, there's a there's a crowdfunder um, in motion at the moment. You know, I've I've stepped in fully <laughs> to, 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 the, to to the max I'm I'm able to, and we are. We are where we are, and we, we still we still need to um, go out a hole in that in that cash flow. We'll, we'll get there, and I think the key thing is to remember where where we sit within the ecosystem, and and that we do have much smaller businesses who are you know owner operators as well within the food arch, for example, and, and within the courtyards and and our staff. Uh, our goal is to protect them. The first thing that we talked about when we got together as kind of the board the week after everything shut down was whatever happens let's make sure that when we look back on how we handled ourselves through all of this we can be proud and we've been very measured and careful throughout to not make any knee-jerk steps or um, prioritize money over people you know the, the, the key thing is protect the business protect the people you know in terms of the financial side of it that, that the the returns can wait um, there will need to be some give, but I think the get, you need to be careful where you put that pressure on a business. Um, aside from what's happening now, were there any other bumps along the way that you feel listeners who are looking to open their own business could learn from? Like, was there anything that happened to you where you were like, oh, I don't know how to deal with that? Oh, so many, yeah. I, <laughs> like, it feels like it's just been a constant roller coaster, but that's what you get when you're, when you're trying to expand. I feel, if I was... If I was thinking about what what would be transferable or an example of something that wouldn't be specific but people could learn from i mean i came a little bit late to two kind of concepts which are actually the same concept but dressed up slightly differently but i recommend two books to anyone seriously thinking about getting into the food business or any business frankly it's not it's, these are these books aren't specific to food the first is a a book by um alistair campbell called winners and why they succeed. There's a great audiobook version of it where he actually narrates it, and it looks at what's the what's the consistent DNA between a successful leader of a country or a manager of a football team or an entrepreneur of a business. What's what is it that all these people what what connects them all? And that I won't I won't spoil it, but there's and it's not a particularly long book, but it's just very well thought through as an argument. And then the other one that's a bit more practical and was probably more of a kind of like, oh, I really wish we had done this day one rather than day 500, was a book called Traction, which really looks at the need to establish the vision 
um, and the objectives of of the business before getting into kind of the what and the how. And people might feel that this is kind of just jargon. I think I I was aware of it going into all of this, and I think I was I would have been in that camp and kind of rolled my eyes. But there really isn't anything more important than figuring out why you're doing it and why it exists. And if you're doing it in partnership or in collaboration with others even more important to establish that, to then have that be the true north that defines everything going forward. So once you've figured out why, for example, you're going to start a restaurant, like not just like it's going to be an Italian restaurant, why does that need to happen? Why is it important? And then from that, you can kind of extrapolate the, the function. And I think that's that's been a big learning. And now on new projects, both as a business as a whole, we've established that and it's been hard finding the time to do so whilst on top of all the day-to-day stuff but on new projects when we go into a place like Huntsville we sit down with a blank sheet of paper and we say right why is this gonna be important and it helps everyone yeah that's such a good tip I uh I just bought both of them on audible while you while you were talking no. well, let me know let me know I, I appreciate the feedback and uh, like I say the, the Gino Whitman one uh, attraction is a bit more um sort of uh, just practical um there's actual like um tasks that you yeah. can do throughout it and the Alistair Campbell one's more I was using it as kind of a when I was going for runs and and walking the dog and stuff it was a bit more like just interesting a bit more passive listening thank you so much I like to end all my interviews asking when you're not at your own place so if you're not at Flatiron or Goodsway or anywhere else in the world where do you like going out in London I like sort of calling up my friends who are chefs mostly and asking them to take me to wherever the latest new up and coming spot is that's played out pretty well one of these restaurants became kind of my go-to when people are visiting town i'd I'd take them there because i think it's i think it's really special it's a place called luca on St. John Street in Farringdon. And it's an Italian restaurant set up by the same guys who did Clove Club. And it's brilliant and quite unassuming. I think you wouldn't, you kind of need to know about it and you need to make your way for it because it's not in kind of a, a neighborhood that's sort of famed for its uh, its restaurants. Yeah, it's the exception to the rule of where you are is so important. It's, yeah. It, you're exactly right. It's like very unassuming, but it's gorgeous, both design-wise and the food. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to you guys opening up again. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, I, look, I, I said just before, I think it was before we even began the show, but I, my view is that you do need to continue to take this thing very seriously. Just because it's been going on a long time doesn't mean it's gone away. And as much as we love talking about stages and different mm-hmm. types of cuisine and menus and all that, I, I feel um, absolutely that the most important thing is to make sure that people are safe. We're not out of the woods yet, and we'll just have to keep on monitoring and, and be cautiously bringing bringing everything back. Yeah, I totally agree. Thank you so much. Thank oh you. God. Absolutely. Right, so there you have it, guys. Ben Lovett giving us a macro view of the industry. So interesting to kind of look at how everything works together um, in like a bigger style sort of like food hall and and street food market as well as like a music venue um, and I, I completely agree with Ben as exciting as it is to get out of lockdown and start to be let back into our favorite bars and restaurants we really do need to be careful um, and I hope I hope you guys are all staying safe but still enjoying freedom again 
Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed today's detour. Uh, we've got another little detour coming next week, but it's super interesting. She's got some great stories for us. Uh, so please do tune in. And remember, if you're liking it, share, comment, subscribe on ACAST, iTunes, or Spotify. And um, thank you so much and have a fantastic week. And I'll see you guys next week.